We're beginning a brand new series called Red, Discerning the Times. So who thinks this is timely? It's interesting. Here's what's cool. Here's what's awesome about God. I was in Tulsa this last couple of days. I was speaking at a ladies' retreat at a big church in Tulsa called Church on the Move. Anybody ever heard of Church on the Move or Willie George? Church of about 12,000. And so, you know, there are some things we can learn from them. And so what's interesting is this. Last May, God put it in his heart, put it in their pastor's heart last May to do a series. They started it last weekend on this very same subject. And God put it in our hearts in August to do a series called Red. We're calling ours Red. They're calling theirs something else. And uh, to do a series called Red, talking about discerning the time. So aren't you glad the Holy Spirit's trying to help us? He knew, only God knew last May or last August what was going to be happening last week. And this time frame that we're living in, so it's encouraging. Be encouraged. The Holy Spirit's on it. He knows things that are to come. Aren't you glad he does? Wall Street doesn't. Political leaders don't. But God does, and the Holy Spirit does, and he's given us his word, and then with his help, he will show us the things that we need to know concerning signs and things to come. So our series is called Red. Our subtitle is Discerning the Times or Discerning the Signs. And so let me tell you where we're going in these next couple of weeks. Today we're beginning it. We're talking uh, week number one, deciphered, deciphering some of these things, discerning the times we can know. Next week we'll talk about this answered or ants read, discerning world events. We're going to talk about some real specific world events, so don't miss next week. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about some, some of the things that are happening um, amongst nations. We're going to talk about some things that are happening in terms of natural disasters and how do all those things tie into what uh, the Lord wants us to know concerning these times. Week number three, don't miss week three, we're going to talk about favored and discerning our role. Like Jeff said, you know, before the service began, like he shared, this is no time to panic and this is no time to be in fear. And, in, and as a matter of fact, it's time to do the exact opposite because the world's in panic and fear. This is an opportunity. This is a window for the church. There will be so, how many of y'all know after 9-11, people were so open to the gospel. You know, when people are in fear and uncertainty and they don't know the Lord, they are receptive to hear about the Lord. And so here you are, you know the Lord. You have security, you have stability. And we're supposed to be in a place of faith and courage and hope. And what kind of opportunities are gonna be ahead of us as a church for sure, but even, individ in, even individually? What about family members you've been praying for? What about friends? What about neighbors? That maybe up until now haven't been all that receptive, but I'm telling you, it is gonna be a wide window for us as, as believers. And so this is the time to be full of faith, right? Lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. This is a time as a Christian to now put into practice all the things you know, all the things you believe. And so we'll get into a lot more of that on week number three, and, um, and that lets you know where we're heading. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. And um, let me pray, and then we'll jump right into it. We've got lots to cover. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Lord, he's our teacher. No human person knows anything about the future, but you know everything about the future. And Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit, when he came, would show us things to come. And we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church today. The Holy Spirit is talking and giving believers a heads up. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying. I pray that you'll open our eyes. 
I thank you, Lord, that you want us as believers and as a body of Christ, you want us to be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. You want us to be faith-filled people, recognizing the opportunities that are in front of us. The enemy would love for the world to be living in fear. <clears throat> and that is how the world lives, but that's not how your people live. We ask you today, Lord, to infuse us with courage, infuse us with faith and with hope and with your wisdom. And we thank you for all that you're doing and will do in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that agreed said, Amen. Amen. Alrighty, well, let me, let me give you this little intro because this sometimes helps to, to understand things from God's perspective a little bit, how he's seeing things. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God began a clock. And this clock, he hit start, and this clock tick, 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 ticked all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through up until Jesus came. This clock was ticking, and this clock primarily dealt with God's dealings with his people, Israel, the Jewish nation. It dealt with, you know, his dealings with everyone, but primarily it dealt with his dealings with his people, with the Jewish people, the Israel, Israeli nation, and why they were here, and what his intention and his purposes were for them. And when Jesus came on the earth, when Jesus came on the scene, this clock hit pause, and God started another clock. And the clock that's ticking now, this clock, is called the church age. Jesus is the head of the church. We are living you and I, we are living in what's called the church age. That's the time frame in which we're living. Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body. And, and here's the thing. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and it, it, I love how it says it in the Message Bible. It says it this way. It says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The thing that is front and center on God's heart is his church. That's local churches. It's the global church of Jesus Christ all over the earth. And he has this clock ticking. And the, now how many of you know the media and the world and the powers that be want us to think that the church is peripheral to the world? We're just the fringe, little periphery, little naive Christian people. It's the exact opposite from God's view. God is very interested in this clock. The church is not peripheral. The world is peripheral. And it is front and center on God's heart what is happening in the church. And this clock is ticking and has been ticking for some 2,000 years. And Jesus, we'll get into it here in just a bit, wants us to recognize some signs and some events and to discern some things to know where are we on this clock. Because a day is coming, this clock will stop. Does anybody know what event is going to cause this clock to stop? It's called the rapture, and we won't get into it a whole lot today, so you have to come back for week three. Don't miss the end. Y'all read the end of the book? Don't miss the ending. It's the best. And so week three, we're going to talk about the rapture and all these other things that are going to happen in the very last of the last days. And how close are we to those? Only God knows. But we can certainly read and discern some times. So this clock will stop, and then God will fire this clock back up. This clock is just on pause. Those of you that are Bible studiers, some of you have heard of a thing called Daniel's 70 weeks. Well, in history, 69 of Daniel's 70 weeks have ticked on by on this clock. And a week represents seven years. So there is one week left on this clock, or one seven-year period of time still left on this clock. When this clock ends... This clock will start back up, and we'll get into some of this in week three. We'll go into what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. 
And this will be God's final dealings with Israel, with the Jewish nation. And then the Bible talks about after that, Jesus will return in his second coming. And I'm telling you, do not miss the millennium. <laughs> Get your reservation in for the millennium. Then what will happen according to the Bible, and I'm giving you guys a little overview now. We'll get into some of this in a little more detail as we go. But listen, the millennial reign of Christ, when both clocks have stopped, Jesus sets up his, you want to talk about an election? Jesus sets up his presidency on planet earth. And he rules and reigns out of Jerusalem. And we go into what the Bible calls a thousand years of peace. We rule and reign. Believers, I'm talking about believers. You a believer? We rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years on earth. And the best news, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Now, I know for some of you, you think, well, this is like science fiction. What's she talking about? Well, we're going to see some of this in these next couple of weeks, what the Bible has to say about the times and recognizing where we are on God's time, where we are on the clock. All right. So with that little intro, let me have you get your Bibles out then and go over to Matthew 16, verse 2. Matthew 16, verse 2. Jesus said this. He said, you have a saying that goes like this, red sky at night, sailor's delight. How many of you thought you made that up? <laughs> Anybody ever sang that little deal? Red sky. Jesus said this. This is where it came from. Jesus said, you have a saying that goes red sky at night, sailor's delight. Or he recognized that they had a saying. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. You find it easy enough to forecast the weather... Why can't you read the signs of the times? He said, listen, you can look at the clouds and you can look at the weather and you can look at the indicators and you know what to do as far as sailing or going outside to play or having a picnic. You can recognize the signs that forecast weather. You need to be able to recognize the signs of the times. And so signs, God gives us signs. Isn't that nice of the Lord? He doesn't want us clueless. He gives us indicators. He gives us signs. And what does a sign do for us? They're going to show you guys a couple of signs on the screen as I, as I share a little bit about what signs do for us. They point us in a direction, don't they? Don't signs tell you which way to go? Don't signs tell you how far until your destination? They let you know where to turn. They let you know if you've missed your turn. They let you know how many more miles till you get to where you're going. Signs are these indicators, and they help us travel certain routes and God's given us signs all the time so that we can travel the routes that he wants for us go over to uh first chronicles chapter 12 verse 32 and while you're turning there can I borrow your watch first chronicles 12 32 thank you I was giving you time to get it thank you Alrighty, uh, this is, in fact, this verse, just to give you a little history, this is the verse back in August or so, the Lord began to have this scripture roll around in my heart. I had not thought about this verse since the 1980s, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, this verse begins to roll around in my heart, and I took it as, Jeff and I talked about it, and took it as an indicator, took it as, a, as an indicator that the Lord wanted us to be, to be prayerfully considering doing a series along these lines, and it seemed to make sense to do it now. We decided this in August, and yet the Lord knew all along. So this verse in 1 Chronicles 12, the sons of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, was one of the Jewish tribes. And here's what was unique about them. They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so we want to be like the tribe of Issachar. We want to pray and ask God, God, help us to be like the tribe of Issachar. Help us to understand the times. We just have understanding. You open up our heart and our mind to understand the times. But then don't stop there because just because you understand the times, 
How many of you know there's, there's part B? To know what Israel ought to do in this case, and in our case, to know what we ought to do. Wisdom to know what to do. Like Jeff was saying, you know, you looked at some of the signs this week and, and some of the, the things that have been happening in the world, and what we need is to recognize the sign. And then secondly, we need wisdom from God to know what to do. Lord, what are we supposed to do? What's the customized plan for us to collectively as a church? What's the customized plan for you individually as a family? What is God's plan for you to, in terms of what to do? Then Jeremiah 33, this is a verse that many of you know. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. The Lord gave us a promise. He said, call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things. Things that are fenced in and hidden, which you do not know. You do not distinguish and recognize. You have no knowledge of or understanding. Call unto me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. And so as a Christian, as a believer, we can have great confidence. God doesn't want you in the dark. He doesn't want us in the dark. And as we call on him, as we've prayed here yet, you know, beginning today and in these next three weeks, we can have confidence. He'll show us what we need to know. Great and mighty things. Amen? Okay, so go over then to Matthew 24. We'll look at a couple things, a couple signs. I'm giving you some introductory comments because I want to sort of lay a little foundation before we jump into looking at some signs. But Matthew 24, Jesus began to talk to some people. And here's what he said. It says here later, uh, Matthew 24, verse 3. It said, later Jesus sat on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and asked, when will all this take place? And will there be any sign ahead of time to signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus had been talking to them about some things concerning his, his crucifixion and resurrection, some things concerning Jerusalem, some things concerning the future. And they said, will there be any sign? When will all these things happen? Well, the Bible clearly says no man knows the day or the hour of God's purposes and of God's, you know, specific plans, and especially concerning uh, end-time events, especially concerning um, the rapture and the tribulation and some of these, some of these uh, events that are to come. And yet, right on the other hand, we're supposed to be able to discern the times and get a bit of a heads up. One, one thing that's interesting, when Jesus, <clears throat> and really in the Bible, you, you could say it this way. Typically, when you read the Bible, God is endeavoring to talk to one of three groups of people. And so you sort of want to discern who's he talking to. He's either talking to the Jews, he's either talking to Israel or to the Jews, or he's talking to the church, or he's talking to the Gentiles or the heathen or unbelievers. He's talking to one of three groups of people when you read the Bible. So you always want to ask yourself the question as you're reading the Bible, who's he talking to? So like in Matthew 24, specifically, he's talking to the Jews. He specifically begins to give some instructions to the Jews about what's going to be happening at the tail end of this clock and then the time frame of this clock. He's giving, you know, just the tail end of this clock and then a lot about what's going to happen when this clock fires back up. And so you, you, you want to discern things when you're reading the Bible. Who's he talking to? So, for example, as a, as a, a believer, and we are the church... This is the church age. We're on this clock. Any book in the Bible from basically from Acts to the end, from Acts all the way to Revelation, those are books that are written to us. Those are, you know, if you say, where should I read in my Bible? What should I read anything from Acts all the way to Revelation? Because those are books that are written to you. We can read the Gospels, and a lot of the Gospels were written to the Jews. We glean a lot out of the Gospels. The Old Testament, we glean a lot out of the Old Testament, but really it's important to read the stuff that was written to you. 
Amen. So, okay, go over to then. Let's look at another verse here. Go over to, um, or in, you're in Matthew 24. Jump down to verse 32. And we'll, we'll begin to talk about this. Here are the 10 signs of the times, and there's more, but we're going to look at 10 signs of the times over the course of the next couple of weeks. Today we'll look at four, and then we'll, we'll hit a couple more each week. Here are the 10 signs. Number one, Israel's activity. God's very interested in Israel and the activity there, especially in particular Jerusalem. Number two, the knowledge explosion. We'll talk about that. Number three, financial shifts. As Jeff mentioned, anyone notice that <laughs> happening? Number four, deceivers and scoffers. Number five, natural disasters. Number six, nations aligning. It is so interesting. It is so amazing. When you begin to watch Iran, Iraq, Russia, China, Israel, and we'll get into a lot more of that next week. Nations aligning. Number seven, Noah's days revisited. Number eight, massive revival. Number nine, grand persecution. And number 10, glorious rapture. So don't miss week three. That's where we're going to talk about the rapture. And, and, and for some of you, I know these ter terms are new to you. You're saying, what's a rapture and what's a, what's a tribulation thing? What was that all about? I know some of this stuff is new to you, so we're going to just give some introductory thoughts today, and I want to encourage you, come every week, and I believe by the end of the three weeks, you'll have a good working knowledge of what the Bible teaches, just, just some basics on what the Bible teaches about discerning the times, all right? So Matthew 24, verse 32, we'll start with sign number one, Israel's activity. God is very interested in what's happening in Israel, and we should be too as a church, as the church, we should be very interested and what's happening over there. We should be supportive of Israel. You know, these elections are important on many fronts, but I'll tell you one major thing that's of major importance for anyone you vote for, for all the candidates, find out their position on Israel. We need pro-Israeli people governing our country if we want God's blessings to remain on our country. So look at this verse, verse 32. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its buds become tender and its leaves begin to sprout, you know without being told that summer is near. Just so when you see the events I've described beginning to happen, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I assure you, this generation will not pass from the scene before all of these things take place. So this verse, Jesus begins to tell us some things about this fig tree. And in the Bible, the fig tree is symbolic. It's a type and a shadow of Israel. Whenever God begins to talk about the fig tree, oftentimes it's a type and a shadow of his dealings with Israel. In the same way that when you read the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, when you read the Bible, and even a few prophetic verses in the Old Testament, when you see the words, the vine, who's the vine referring to, do you think? The church. When you read verses about the vine, Jesus said that he was the vine, we are the branches. You read words about the vine, he's talking about the church. You read words about the fig tree, he's talking about Israel. And he said to the disciples as he was talking to them about signs, he said, now listen, when you see the events I've described begin to happen, you see the fig tree begin to blossom, know this, his return is very near, right at the door. This generation will not pass until all of these other things have happened as well. So here's a question for you. If he's talking about Israel there, how many of you know Israel was dispersed around the world for decades, centuries, and then something supernatural, something God-ordained happened in 1948? 
Israel for the first time from all over the world, Israelis, Jewish people began going back to their homeland and they were pronounced an official state. Israel was pronounced an official state in 1948. That was big news in heaven, <laughs> big news on earth too. So then the question is, okay, so what, what's a generation then? Well, the smallest biblical generation is around 20 years. And then the length of generations is, you know, all over the board. It can be many decades. So no one knows for sure how long a generation is. But is it possible that the generation that saw Israel become a nation in 1948, is it possible that we are coming up to some of the last ticks on this clock? Is it possible that that generation is going to be the generation that will see all the signs fulfilled? Now, what about Israel? What about the church? Here's an interesting thing. We're talking about signs. Pay attention to Israel. Pay attention to Jerusalem. Listen to the news. Follow it. Because it's very interesting, and historically people will look back, when something major happens in Israel, that oftentimes something major happens in the church. There's a parallel between the fig tree and the vine. Back in 1948, there was a healing. I mean, the healing of Israel. They were restored as a nation. And at the very same time in the church, what happened was in the late 1940s and into the 50s, there was a healing revival. Some of us don't know the names anymore. Any, you know, these days, we might not recognize too many of the names of people that God used back in that season, but you probably know the name Oral Roberts. You probably know some other names of people that God did not, did not only did he do a healing in Israel and healed their nation, but he began to send a healing wave throughout the church. Then in the late 1960s, there was the Six-Day War. A hundred million plus people were coming against the one million Israelis in what was called the supernatural Six-Day War. In six days, Israel, Israel won. And here's what's interesting about, okay, so then what happened in the church in the 60s? The late 60s, what happened in the church? Well, how many of you remember the 60s? Probably not too many of you. In the 60s, you remember the Jesus movement? In the 60s, God was moving all over the earth, and he was moving a lot of people that had been in sort of dead, formalized religion. He was moving them out of dead, formalized religion. And they got a little, they got a little fight in them. And they began to come out, and that is when there was the birth of the non-denominational charismatic renewal. I mean, how many of you came out of the charismatic renewal? Look around and see a few hands of folks that were, you know, alive then. <laughs> I was alive then. Young, but alive. Yeah. So when God does something amazing in Israel, just pay attention and go, okay, God, what's on the calendar for the church? This is a sign for us. Pay attention to God's dealings with Israel. All right. Sign number two. Oh, let me have you look at this picture. I just want you guys to see this. We'll get into it a little bit more next week, but we want to pay attention to Jerusalem what's happening in Jerusalem. And here's a picture. This is a picture I took. I was over in Israel a couple of years ago, standing inside a church and out through this lattice. Isn't this cool? You see the crucifixion or the crucifix there. And then you see Jerusalem behind. That's the, t the Dome of the Rock. That gold thing is the Dome of the Rock. And so we want to keep our eyes for sure on Jerusalem. Details, a little bit more on that next week. Okay, sign number two, a knowledge explosion. And not that knowledge explodes, but there, there's an increase in knowledge. Go over to Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book 
until the time of the end. Daniel, here's some secrets. Here's some mysteries. Here's some things to come. Shut up the book. Seal it up until the time of the end. And here's how you're going to recognize the time of the end. Here are the signs. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, this one's interesting. I mean, this is quite fascinating for us. As far as the to and fro thing goes, from the Garden of Eden up until the 1900s, the way that people went to and fro was by walking or by horseback, or if you live near water, by a boat. For So for almost 6,000 plus years, the way of to and fro was walking or horseback. But then since the 1900s, in the last 1,000 years, who knows, there has been an exponential increase in your ability to go to and fro. Jets and space shuttles and airplanes and trains and all kinds of vehicles. Well, vehicles. Okay, let's just start with cars. <laughs> vehicles. And not only ways to go to and fro physically, but how many of you know you can pull out your cell phone and you can send an instant message to someone in Thailand now and go to and fro? And then concerning the increase of knowledge or this knowledge explosion, I mean, how many of you remember, you know, sometimes we do take it for granted, the, you know, the increase of this information age. I mean, we all agree, right? This is the information age. And the increase and the exponential growth of knowledge truly is mind-boggling. We were talking the other day, you know, when we first started the church, you know, the, the, we, didn't, we, we didn't even have like, well, the internet didn't exist, so the way we would communicate was through memos. Anybody remember memos? Like an inner office memo? <laughs> Do you guys know? You know, I want to say my daughters are here today. My girls are home from college. Yay! Megan and Annie. Haven't had a chance to get to see them a whole lot because Annie's been playing volleyball and gone every weekend, and Megan's all tied up with stuff. So uh, we're going to get a girl afternoon. So a little parenthesis, sorry. All right, so back to information explosion. So back in the day, we did inner office memos. And we didn't have such a thing as, you know, as email. And, and who remembers back in the day, who remembers a typewriter? <laughs> remember that? A typewriter. And remember, who remembers the one, the one that we all learned on in high school? The Selectric. The IBM Selectric with the little army deals that, you know, got all messed up if you type too fast. And then you were on, you were on the cutting edge if you got one of those with the ball. <laughs> and then do you remember we went to electric word processors? I mean, you were, on, you were on the up and up if you had an electric word processor. That's what we started. We started the church with an electric word processor. And then now to have a computer? And then now, how, how many of us are like this? You know, if our computer takes more than like two seconds to get us online. <laughs> like, this thing is so slow. Right? What are we talking about? Information explosion. The ability to communicate. The, the PDAs, the iPods, the computers, the cell phones. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And we sort of take it for granted. Well, I want you guys to see a video because really the internet's only been around for 5,000 days. And so I happen to be surfing the net. And if you want to hear what smart people that don't know God are talking about, go to TED.com. And there's some people on there that are, that are believers, too. Like Billy Graham has some things on there as well. So there's some, you know, some believers have some, some good stuff on there, too. But, I mean, these are like smart people, like physicists and, you know, scientists. Well, I stumbled on this guy that is smart, and he begins to talk about what do the next 5,000 days look like concerning the Internet. So let's take a look.
internet, the web, as we know, the, the, the kind of web of things that we're all talking about, is only less than 5,000 days old. Okay? So all the things that we've seen uh, come about, starting, say, with uh, satellite images of the whole Earth, which we couldn't even imagine happening before, all these things rolling into our lives, just this abundance of things that are right before us, sitting in front of our laptop or our desktop, this, this kind of cornucopia of stuff just coming on, never-ending, is amazing. And we're not amazed. It's really amazing that all this stuff is here. Okay? It's in 5,000 days. All this stuff has come. And I know that uh, 10 years ago, if I had told you that this was all coming, you would have said that that's impossible. And if I told you it was all coming for free, you would say this is simply, you're dreaming, you're a Californian utopian. If that's happened in the last 5,000 days, what's going to happen in the next 5,000 days? So I, I have, a, I have a, kind of a simple story, and it suggests that, that what we want to think about is this thing that we're making, this thing that's happened in 5,000 days, that's all these computers, all these handhelds, all these cell phones, all these laptops, all the servers, basically what we're getting out of all these connections is we're getting one machine. That there is only one machine. And our little handhelds and devices are actually just little windows into those machines, but that we're basically constructing a single global machine. What are the dimensions of this machine? And I started off by calculating how many billions of clicks there are all around the globe on all the computers. And there's 100 billion clicks per day. And there's 55 trillion links between all the web pages of the world. And so I began thinking more about other kinds of dimensions, and I made a quick list, and uh, it was a, um, Chris Jordan, the photographer, talking about numbers being so large that they're meaningless. Well, here's a list of them. They're kind of they're hard to tell, but there's a one billion PC chips on the Internet. If you count all the chips and all the computers on the Internet, there's two million emails per second. So it's a very big number. These are, these are just a huge machine. I did something else. I figured out uh, 100 billion clicks per day, 55 trillion links is almost the same as the number of synapses in your brain. A quadrillion transistors is almost the same as the number of neurons in your brain. So to, to, to a first approximation, we have these things, 20 petahertz synapse firings. Of course, the memory is just really huge. But to a first approximation, the size of this machine is the size in complexity, so does kind of, to your brain. Because, in fact, that's how your brain works, in kind of the same way that the web is work. However, your brain isn't doubling every two years. <laughs> so, if we say this machine right now that we've made is about one HB, one human brain, if we look at the rate that this is increasing, in 30 years from now, there'll be 6 billion HBs. So by the year 2040, the total processing of this machine will exceed the total processing power of humanity in raw bits and stuff. And stuff. And stuff like that. Isn't that amazing? So we're talking about an information explosion. Well, Daniel predicted it thousands of years ago. So what are we supposed to do? Just recognize the signs. Just let's recognize the signs. That leads us to the next one, financial shifts. Sign number three, financial shifts. In Revelations 13, verse 16, it says this. It says, he causes all. This is speaking about the Antichrist. This is speaking about 
um, an evil ruler that's to rise up, and we'll get into some of that week three. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this verse tells us some things that are coming, and there's a really good chance that this will happen on this clock during the seven years of tribulation. It's a really good chance that this will be happening then. But the infrastructure is being set up now. I think no one can deny the infrastructure is rapidly being set up. And it's interesting. Don't you think it's interesting this week and the last couple of weeks with all this financial stuff going on in the world? And historic. It was historic that President Bush met with with the G7. Is that what they're called? Met with the G7, met with other nations to talk about global financial issues. Historic. Like that happened in our lifetime on our TVs last week, a couple days ago. An infrastructure is being set up. Notice on that information uh, internet video, he talked about everything's heading towards one machine. These aren't believers telling us this. These are just scientists. Everything is heading towards one machine. Definitely we're heading towards a globalization. Definitely we're heading towards one world. I mean, you see that everywhere. You see those little, those little slogans everywhere. It, it's, a bit of, um, it's a bit of, you know, the frog in the boiling water. We're in an environment where we're becoming so desensitized to some things, they don't even, they don't even um, alert us. I remember years ago, back when I was in high school, how many of you remember the book, The Late Great Planet Earth? Remember that way back in the day? Well, I remember I'd read that book back in the 80s, and it's, it's along the lines of some of these things, and many of the things that were in that book have since come to pass. And I remember sharing some of these things with a girlfriend in high school. And uh, actually, I was in college. She was in high school. And I remember sharing some of these things with her. And I mean, her eyes were bugging out of her head. This was like science fiction. Well, now we hear some of this stuff. And it is not science fiction. We're living it every day. Right? This infrastructure is being set up around the world for a global economy. And a day is coming when no one will be able to buy or sell. I mean, this is definitely talking about purchasing power, economic times, a financial shift, right? And so that day's coming. Now, here's the thing for the Christian. Here's where you can have peace and faith and courage. The Bible promises this. David said this. The psalmist said this. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Who's the righteous? That's you. Because the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. We're the righteousness of God, not because we're all so perfect, but because Jesus made us the righteousness of God. And we have this promise, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. And then here's a verse, okay? Here's a verse for you. In Matthew, Jesus said this, he said, listen, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust do corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, and thieves cannot break in and steal. Now, a lot of us have heard that verse, and we've thought, well, what that means is, you know, have your treasures in heaven, because when you get to heaven, you'll have all these treasures laid up in heaven. Well, and there is, you know, there is some, some application there, but listen, when you get to heaven, you are not going to need treasures. They pave the streets with gold. So when do you need the treasures? Lay not up for yourselves on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
In other words, as believers, as Christians, we shouldn't be rocked by the world's financial economy because we should be living in, tapped into, participants of God's economy. And we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I'll conclude with a couple of thoughts on this. We're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven for when? For now. Because when do you need them? You're probably going to need them now. You've got some things on deposit because you are cooperating with God's economy. Now, specifically, let me talk to you that are tithers. You, you are in this economy. You can take to the bank, quote unquote, you can take God's word to the bank. You can say, God, I've been a tither. Listen, read Malachi 3. We're not going to get into it today, but for your own benefit, everybody, read Malachi 3 and read the promises to the tither. God promises he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. You're laying up treasures in heaven for yourselves that you can make some withdrawals in a time of need. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. I don't, I don't know how God's economy works. I just know it does. I don't know how it works. Anybody here know how it works? But it just does. You hook in with God and he promises to take care of your needs. He will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Will lay up for yourselves some riches in glory. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. We're talking about hooking in with God's financial system so that as believers we should not be rocked when the world's financial system goes kaput. And all the people said, Amen. All right. Let me have you look at a couple of things here because I want you to see something real interesting. Just talking about the um, the desensitization, the way that we're, you know, it's just in the infrastructure. I was online and I found this. This is a PDF. It's 262 pages long. It's the government smart card handbook. And this was the page that talked about other applications. So here's some other applications for a government-issued smart card. They have a handbook. It's online. You can read it. And here's some other applications, a medical application, a chip-based application that allows basic medical and insurance data to be stored on the card, read, et cetera, by authorized providers and used to populate claim forms. An electronic purse, a chip-based application where cash or value is recorded on a chip and is available for use in vending machines and at participating mer merchants, typically for small transactions. The idea being, it's just these are just little debit cards, just little deals, but, but the idea is, hey, Let's just get you used to it. Let's just get the infrastructure in place. People are used to operating this way. Goes on to say customers are able to reduce the need to carry and make payments with cash, a credit debit card application, a magnetic stripe application used to access information, and so on. It says here, in addition, agencies may choose to develop their own customized applications for use on the smart card identification platform. Then there's the Verichip technology. Now, see, this was science fiction stuff a couple, you know, a decade ago. This was sci-fi to a lot of people. But now, get this, Verichip has the world's first and only patented FDA-approved human implantable RFID microchip. RF stands for radio frequency. This is the first microchip that has been approved by the FDA to be implanted into humans. And there's some other stuff. You can read the screen if you want to see it. They have right now, they have the ability, the technology to support up to 16 million tags. Right now, these tags can't uh, carry financial data. It's not, it doesn't have a GPS and it's not tracking you. 
But the point is the technology, the infrastructure is in place. On their website, under their FAQs, it says this, does Verichip have anything to do with the RFID microchips being seen inserted into people's hands? This particular chip they insert into your tricep. But there's a question on their website about chips being inserted into people's hands. Well, didn't we just read that in Revelation? Let me go back. I thought we might have just read that. Something about you can't buy or sell unless you have something on your hand or on your forehead. I think what's going to happen is because of theft, you know, people are going to steal the smart cards and all that business, so they're going to have to do something more permanent. So they're going to have to put a little chip in your hand. But in case somebody chops off your hand, they're going to have to put it on your forehead. And then if they chop off your head, well, then, you know, it's all over. <laughs> You're pretty much with the Lord at that point. And, and truly, a lot of this, I honestly truly do believe that a lot of this is going to be happening on this clock. I think we'll be long gone out of here by that point. But Jesus said, you can discern the weather. Hey, at least discern the times. Pay attention to the signs of the times. All right, last, last sign deceivers and scoffers. Jesus answered and said to them, Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, meaning a lot of people will try. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. This uh, bumper sticker, maybe you've seen this bumper sticker. Jesus said, take heed that nobody deceives you. But listen, this bumper sticker right now, y'all see that behind me? This is, everybody's supposed to, we're all supposed to get along. We're all supposed to agree. And you can't say Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter what you believe in. We just all, just as long as we all believe in a higher power and stuff like that, we can just coexist. This is a way of thinking. And you as a Christian, me as a Christian, they, they want us to think we're politically incorrect. I loved our opening song about being a Jesus freak. What will people think if they find out you're a Jesus freak? Because this is the way, you just need, we all need to know, we need to recognize the signs of the times. This is the era we're growing up in. This is the era our kids are in. This idea that there can't be truth, there can't be absolutes, everything has to be relative. You can't say, you can't believe the Bible. Go over to 1 Peter, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. This totally fits our time. It says, but there were false prophets too in those days, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will, will cleverly tell their lies about God, turning against even their master who bought them. But theirs will be a swift and terrible end. Many will follow their evil teaching that there is nothing wrong with sexual sin. And because of them, Christ in his way will be scoffed at. These teachers in their greed will tell you anything to get a hold of your money. Follow the money trail. Most of the time it's about money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction is on the way. Isn't it interesting? He's talking to us here about deceivers and false teachers. And isn't it interesting? Right in the middle of this discussion, he brings up one subject. He says, and one of the things that's going to be their drumbeat is this idea that it's okay to be sexually immoral. That sexual preference and sexual identity and all of that, that it's all okay. Well, don't you think that's interesting that what, what hits, what's the top of our headlines oftentimes? Is it not about that whole subject? You know, Pastor Jeff just finished, I thought, an awesome series called Sex in the City. And just so timely for this generation, for you guys, for your kids. And so he says, be aware of these kind of 
false teachers, these kind of deceivers. And the bottom line is a lot of time it's all about your money. So I want you guys to see a clip. This is a video clip. It just talks to us about some of these things. So let's watch it. He is 60-year-old Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda from Puerto Rico, a preacher, an evangelist to be sure, but to his followers and in his own eyes, he's more than a man of God. Just ask him. I'm Jesus Christ, man, in front of you. That's right. He says he is the second coming. Bill Maher, host of Real Time with Bill Maher, is tackling an often taboo subject, organized religion. Religion, to me, is a giant elephant in the room of comic gold because, <laughs> you know, we're talking about a garden with a talking snake. If you can't find humor there, people are just used to it. You're a senator. It worries me that people are running my country to believe in a talking snake. You don't have to pass an IQ test to be in the Senate, though. <laughs> Now, the ACLU says it is illegal to charge people for plates that promote environmentalism or education, but not charge people for the In God We Trust plates. Specifically, they are complaining about a $15 state fee that is charged for all other vanity plates. $15. And God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. That's right. And if, and if, you're, if that your religion is a believing experience, if God for you is still about a belief, then it's not truly God. It's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality that doesn't always align with the teachings of Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how have you reconciled these spiritual teachings with your Christian belief? I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the, um, the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. But there are millions of ways to be a human being and, and many ways, no, but many paths to what you call God. That her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? So yeah, these are these are the times we're living in, right? And so even if, if it's people you love, people you respect, people that have a lot of influence, just because they say it doesn't make it so. Jesus is the truth, the way. He said, I am the, about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So as believers, we do not want to be easily duped. We do not want to be easily deceived. And Jesus said, listen, this is a sign. Don't let others deceive you. Well, the only guard against that is you need to know the truth. Amen. You don't need to study all the counterfeits. Study a real $100 bill, and it'll be easy to recognize the counterfeit. A lot of people spend so much time studying counterfeits. No, study the truth, and it'll be easy to recognize the counterfeiter. One more, uh, one more thought. Our time, I know, is just about up. Luke 19. Jesus, or I'm sorry. No, not Luke 19. Second Peter. Verse, chapter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, 
scoffers will come. Well, they're here. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, isn't this interesting? But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. He said, listen, they deliberately forget that God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created well, don't you guys think it's interesting that, number one, the headlines has to do with sexual preference and sexual morality or immorality, and the number two headline lately has to do with intelligent design, has to do with creation, the Big Bang Theory, evolution. Well, it just, the Bible predicted it thousands of years ago. These are going to be your headlines. These are signs. Scoffers will come. Now, if they have their way, it could look like this. Let's watch this video. And here's the thing, too. I heard that they're going to take the uh, under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, they're trying to take that out. Here's what I say. You know what? Take it out. Take it out, but you're going to have to replace it with something. Replace it with something, something like this. A little boy walks into school, puts down his books, he stands up and says the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under a blue sky, formed by chance through a random process of organization against uncalculatable odds and in complete opposition to the laws of physics, probability, and entropy, paying no attention to our forefathers who founded this country on biblical principles. Without the aid or direction of any higher power, and for no reason whatsoever, Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> and that's just kind of cumbersome to me. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so we need to recognize the signs of the times. We looked at four. We'll get into the rest of them in weeks to come. But here's the action steps. Here's what we're supposed to do. Then how, what's our response? Number one, concerning Israel. What do we do? We pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says, God promised, I will bless those who bless you. Talking about Abraham and his descendants. I will bless those who bless you. Bless Israel. Pray for Israel. Support Israel. Be a friend of Israel. Be a friend of the Jews. We want God's blessings, right? We want God's blessings, and we want them blessed. Number two, use the knowledge. Use all this technology. Use the knowledge to preach the gospel. Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached in all the nations, and then the end shall come. It is possible now with a wireless tri-band cell phone. It is wireless now, or possible now, for them to be in a remote jungle in Africa, to upload from the Internet the gospel in English, click on a program, translate the gospel into the tongue of that particular place, plug it into a television if they have one in their back pocket, and a generator in their other back pocket, and to show on a screen the gospel in a remote jungle just by virtue of technology. So let's use technology. Young people, listen, you young people, you high school and college kids, listen, you guys are the experts in this stuff. You can do the MySpace and the Facebook thing, and you get all this Internet stuff. Be a leader and use this technology. Use it for gospel purposes. I always tell my kids, put together a podcast and preach the gospel to your friends. Young people, do something with this technology. Use that you are the generation that has this. Use it. Stand up and step out and be bold. 
and your witness for the Lord. Don't just dork around with video games. <laughs> and finally, no, not finally, number three, live in God's economy through tithes and offerings. Stay hooked into God's economy. Here's the promise to you. If you're a tither, he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You can have confidence, and there's some rest in that. And I encourage all of you, read Malachi 3. That's your homework assignment. Read Malachi 3. Stay hooked into God's economy. And number four, come to Christ and walk with the Lord. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you'll confess with your mouth that he is Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. And it's very likely there are some people here today, maybe you're hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time, and, you know, it just sounds like, wow. Listen, here's what I can tell you. Today is your day. It, this is no time to delay a decision to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And so action step number four for you is, listen, if Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, then we're going to pray a prayer in closing. And you can pray this prayer. And if you believe this in your heart, God will listen to your heart. God will look down from heaven. The Bible says his ear is bent low to hear your prayers. And he'll look on your heart. And if you'll invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, You'll humble yourself before the Lord and invite him to come in. He promises he'll come in to forgive all of your sins. He'll write your name in the, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's Heaven's Reservation Book. And not only will you have some assurances in this life, you will have the grand assurance of an eternity spent with Jesus Christ, spent with God in a place called heaven. So if that fits you, if you've never personally invited him to be the Lord of your life, then let's get it marked down. Let's have heaven record it today. All right, let's all pray this together. Father, thank you so much for the beginning of this series. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you don't want us in a lurch. You don't want us to not know the things and the signs of our times, but you've given us the Holy Spirit and your word so that we can know things to come. We can know what you need us to know. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here. I pray, Lord, you'll give us those ears to hear and eyes to see, to discern the times. And Lord, I pray for every person, every family, that you'll give all of us wisdom that we'll know what to do for our own personal situations, our own personal families. And you'll continue to give wisdom to Jeff and I and to the staff here at the church to know what to do as we move forward preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now for anybody here that doesn't know you personally. They've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And they don't have the assurance that if they were to die today, that they would spend eternity with you. I thank you that as they pray this prayer, you will hear them from heaven and you'll come into their lives. You'll forgive all their sins. You'll write their name in your book and they can leave this place knowing they're saved. Jesus is their Lord. So let's all pray this together. Say, dear God, I do believe that Jesus is your son. I do believe he died on a cross in my place. I believe he went to hell for me. And I do believe that he was raised from the dead. He's alive. And so today, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I ask you to write my name in your reservation book and help me to know you and to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, that's a first step. It's an awesome first step. And God heard your prayer, and Jesus Christ has come into your life.